You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. You take, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter number 2. If you've been in church much of your life, you know that the Christmas story is found in Luke chapter 2. This morning we're going to look at one particular verse. Look at the very sad commentary that can be summed up in four simple words. No room for Jesus. No room for Jesus. Now before we get into this, let me just tell you, there are a lot of characters in the script of the story that we will talk about this morning. There's Mary, the virgin espoused to be married, engaged to be married to Joseph. So there's Joseph the carpenter. There's a little baby Jesus that would be born. There was the innkeepers. There were shepherds. There were wise men. And then you and me. That's right, we're in the script as well. Look with me one verse, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7. And she, who's that? Mary. She brought forth her firstborn son. Who's that? And wrapped him in swaddling clothes. In other words, torn rags. Swaddling clothes, they sound so, so fancy. Can't you imagine going over to Babies R Us? I'd like to get some swaddling clothes. And so our swaddling clothes are on aisle four. No, the swaddling clothes would be in the trash heap. It would have been what would have been thrown away, just discarded. It was unimportant. But yet that's what they wrapped our precious Lord in, just old torn up rags, and laid him in a manger, an old feeding trough, still the smell of scraps and hay. Why? Because there was no room for Jesus in the end. Father, in these next moments of study and worship, God, I pray that you would speak words of truth to us. Lord, convict us and challenge us, not just to make a little room for Jesus, but to put him in his proper place this Christmas. In Jesus' sweet name, Amen and amen. Five things I want to share with you this morning on the subject, no room for Jesus. We're just going to look at the life and legacy of Christ 2,000 years from then to now and see where we fit in. Number one, there was no room for Jesus at the time of his birth. When Jesus was born, if ever there was a need to make room, many of you here today have prepared for your first child. It's much different than preparing for all the rest. You don't get in near as much worry and fret over it. But when you're preparing for first, you've got to get the nursery just so. You've got to prepare everything and you go through classes and you, you learn how to breathe and do all these things. But Mary had none of that. She had been visited by an angel who would tell her that she would give birth to a child. Mary would respond, that's an impossibility. I know not a man. The angel would explain, the impossible becomes possible through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Still does. 
and that she would bring forth a child, birth of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. But the details the angel would leave out. Can you imagine as Mary began wondering exactly when this child would come and then would finally do the math and figure things out? Elizabeth probably helped her with that as she visited her. And then Mary realized that she was going to give birth about the time that she and Joseph would have to go to the village of Bethlehem for the census. Well, they would make their journey. Now, I know what you've seen. You've seen it on the the front lawns of churches and you've seen it in children's plays and maybe even in movies of Mary and Joseph eloquently coming into the, the city of Bethlehem. But it was nothing like that. In fact, the journey from Nazareth, their hometown, to Bethlehem was a very difficult journey. In fact, David writes of that place in Psalm 23 when he calls it the valley of the shadow death. It was a rocky and a rough terrain. It would have been a very difficult journey for anyone, much less a very expectant mother-to-be. Finally, they get to Bethlehem. It is a rather dirty place. It is the place of the shepherds where the Passover lambs were raised each year. And they came looking for a place to stay the night. Now, I know what you you think. You have this idea of the Bethlehem Best Western, of the Holiday Inn Express, of the inns like we would think of today. But literally, these would be nothing more than either a a modest home, maybe a tent-like structure, maybe a hewned-out place much like a cave, and people would be huddled around a fire warming their hands. And they would be having discussions and talking about politics and talking about current events just like they would today. And it wasn't that Mary and Joseph had not made reservations. These were not places that would receive reservations. Mary and Joseph just hoped somebody would have pity on them. I prayed for something that would make sense. My boys this morning heard the message and they said, I think you kind of threw the innkeeper under the bus. The fact of the matter was these were simply people who were opening up a space of their home or opening up a space that they had kind of uh, taken ownership over for the night. And they simply would not make room for Joseph for Mary in her expectant condition. So here's what God led me to. Boys, I'm glad you're here. Imagine, boys, somebody walks in this morning Maybe they've come from afar and and maybe they're a little dirty from their journey and maybe they don't have the name brands on and maybe they don't look quite like you and maybe you don't recognize them. They're not part of the in crowd and they walk up on the front row here and they say, fellas, have you got room for me to sit down? And y'all kind of look around and maybe you got a little room but you you know that it's going to make you a bit uncomfortable. So so you kind of spread out a little bit and say, no, I'm sorry, there's no room on the front row. I'm sorry, we just don't have room for you. I wish we could help you out. Better luck next time. Maybe you can find room over on that front row or one of these other rows or the back row or somewhere like that. Right? Ah, but imagine. Imagine if the captain of the football team walked in. GQ looking. I mean, he's on everybody's top ten list. Everybody wants to be like him. Everybody wants to look like him and, and dress like him. Y'all going to make room? (laughs) Ain't right. I guarantee you, y'all going to make room, right? You're going to make room. 
because somebody has arrived. Oh, yes, you, I want you. In fact, y'all fight over who he's going to sit beside. All right, let me put it this way. What if the captain of the cheerleading squad come in? Take your Caleb. You understand? It wasn't that I'm so sorry, the innkeeper said, we would love to accommodate you, but we just don't have room. No, they didn't make room. They didn't make room. Friend, I don't mean to get too far into my message, but today many people tell me, preacher, I'd like to get involved. Preacher, I'd like to work in the church. Preacher, I'd like to give a little bit. Preacher, I'd like to do, but I'm sorry, I just don't have room in my life. It ain't the fact you don't have room, it's the fact we're not making room. That didn't cost you no more. Get back to the message. Why is it they didn't make room for Jesus? Possibly three things. I'll give them to you very quickly. Number one, ignorance. They had no idea who had shown up in Bethlehem. They had no idea who he was. Now remember, we're going to connect this here to the modern day in just a few minutes. So remember these three words. Maybe it was ignorance. We didn't know who you were. Miss Jean, can you be here Christmas Eve and sing for me on Christmas Eve evening? Amen. Thank you. You make my wife's year every time you sing that song. It's her favorite song, Sweet Little Jesus Boy. One of the lines says, see, Miss Hilda, I just proved I can't sing. One of those lines says, they didn't know who you was. fact of the matter is, they didn't know that Jesus had just arrived. The long-awaited Messiah, the 800 years of coming, the Messiah, Emmanuel, he had just shown up. They were ignorant of it. Or maybe it was indifference. They didn't care. Now, I want to tell you, Nine-month pregnant woman show up, somebody ought to have made room for her. They were indifferent. Or maybe they were just too involved. After all, listen, don't miss this, it was their busy season. Everybody had come back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a place that a lot of people had grown up and moved away. Wasn't any jobs there unless you were a shepherd who wanted to stay in Bethlehem. So everybody had come back. Think about this. It was their busy season. Today, we've become busy. It's our busy season. In Bethlehem, it was their busy season. But one more thing, even way back then, it was all about money. Joseph and Mary didn't have any money. Now, if they'd have shown up and pulled out a wad of money and said, hey, you got room in your inn, let me tell you, they would have had room. Sort of like today, it's a whole lot about money. There was no room for Jesus at his birth. What do you think it was like that first Christmas? What do you think it would have been like as Mary gave birth to a king? What a place for the child of Almighty God to be born. Oh, it was the perfect place. Bethlehem where the Passover lambs were raised. A stable, a feeding trough. All a perfect place for the precious Lamb of God. Number two, not only do we see at the time of his birth there was no room for Jesus, but then all throughout his life. Now think about this. People constantly came to Jesus seeking what they could gain from him, but never for what they could give him. When it was time to be fed, thousands showed up. When it was time to be healed, thousands showed up. When the lepers had turned everywhere, with no hope, they turned to him. All throughout Jesus' life, people came to him for what they could get. I submit to you, it's not all that much different today. Many times people will come to the Lord in their time of, of grief or tragedy or hopelessness, and, and I'm grateful that they turned to him in those times. 
But if our only motivation is what God can do for me, then we're completely missing the mark. People came to Christ when they needed Him most. And yet when Christ needed them most, they fled from Him. I think it's interesting to note that the prophet Isaiah said it would be this way. Isaiah 53 verses 3 and 4. He is despised and rejected, talking of Christ. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we would hide as it were our faces from him for he was so despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisements of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are all healed. And we like sheep have all gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. All throughout the life of Christ, there was no room for Jesus. I think about his hometown, Nazareth. The Bible said, what good did come from Nazareth? Jesus did. This is the place where the people had the greatest opportunity to see Christ at work. To know him and to see his purity and his holiness and his humanity all wrapped up into one. And yet it was in Nazareth where Jesus spent his upbringing, where he grew up, where his hometown was. No mighty works were done there because of their unbelief when Jesus needed them the most. They were unfaithful. The Bible tells us in John 6, 66 that constantly... People fled from Jesus. They, they fled from Jesus. There were times where Jesus would call and say, follow me. And people would look around and they would begin going in the other direction. Jesus said, I'm counting on you. I'm depending on you. And yet they turned and ran. I love reading about missionaries. I love to read the testimonies of Judson Taylor and others. Adoniram Judson. My, probably my favorite because she's so easy to understand and relate to is Lottie Moon. You say, I know her. We take up money for her every year and send it to her. No, she's been dead a hundred years, but her legacy goes on. She answered the call to the mission field in China. Bought a one-way ticket, boarded a ship, and off she went. A tiny woman, just slightly over four feet tall. Yet she changed China with the gospel. She would write back, and this week I read some of her memoirs or some of her letters, and I always thought of her as being a tiny little frail woman, but honestly, when you read her, her letters, she was a great strong woman. She was a bold woman, and she would write back to the states and write back to churches and, and would say, what is wrong with you? Do you not know there are millions and millions of people in China that never heard the name of Jesus, and unless we take the name of Jesus to them, they will never hear in one point she said, it, it grieves my heart and I feel that I am being disobedient to scriptures as I preach to the men of China. Yet there are no men willing to come to China and preach, so preach I will. That's strength. She would cry out, will someone not come and join me in China? If you know her story, she would starve to death late one evening as she had given everything that she had to the Chinese people for the sake of reaching them. 
how true it is. In the life of Christ, there were few who were willing to follow him without counting the cost. Jesus ministered to tens of thousands, yet no one ministered to him. When people were hungry, they cried out and Jesus fed them. Yet on the cross, when Jesus cried out, I thirst, no one was there to give him something to drink. Number three, there was no room for Jesus at the time of his death. The Bible says in Mark 14, 50 that they were scattered like sheep. They were just gone from him. Each of them said, Jesus, we will live for you and we are willing to die for you. And Jesus knew all the time that they had no intention of dying for him nor with him at this point. I think it quite interesting to note that moment by moment in the last hours of Jesus' life, those who were closest to him became farthest from him. What it must have been like as he hung upon that cross and he looked out and he saw nothing but the backside of his friends fleeing. As he heard the voices of those saying, Him, I never knew him. As they would curse the very name of the ones that they a week earlier had cried out and coronated him. They were now crying out, crucify him. Why is it that no one was there at the cross to minister to Jesus? Number one, I believe it was because of fear. Fear, what will be the personal consequences to me? Beloved, the Bible tells us that we are to take up the cross and follow Jesus, that we are to lay down our nets and follow Jesus, that we're to literally turn away from everyone and everything in order to follow Jesus, not counting the cost of ministry, but the cost, counting the cost of not doing ministry. What's keeping us from making room in our lives for Jesus? Maybe it's fear. What will this cost me? Young people, if I totally surrender and sell out to the Lord Jesus Christ, will certain friends turn on me? Will I not get invited to certain things? Will they make fun of me? Will they call me names? Oh, friend, it is worth it all for the cause of Christ. 365 times in the New Testament alone, the phrase, no fear. Why? Because God knew that it would be very tempting to us to live in fear. But not only do I believe they fled the cross of fear, possibly also because of doubt. Did they really believe he was who he said he was? I think we see evidence of that early on the third morning when the disciples did not believe that he had risen from the dead. But there was one who remained faithful by his side and that was his mother, Mary. For she had no doubt that Jesus was just who he said he was. King of kings, Lord of lords, that a miracle brought him to this earth a miracle would take him to the cross and to the grave and would soon bring him out of that grave. She knew he was the miracle child. But all the rest, they doubted and they wondered and they waited. Think about this. When Jesus was born, there was no room. So they took his precious, holy body and laid it in an old feeding trough borrowed from the animals. And when Jesus died as a sacrificial lamb, they would take his body down from the cross, and once again, nowhere to lay that body, they'd have to borrow a tomb. Laying his body in that tomb, knowing it would only hold him for three days. In life, his birth, and now in his death, no room, 
No room for Jesus. Number four, I submit to you that now as we come full circle 2,000 years later, there's still no room for Jesus. This time in our world. I've been watching and everywhere I've gone these last few weeks, it's as though people are scared to say the word Christmas. It's like the taboo word. I was at a sporting goods store on Friday. I was in Wilmington and making a visit, went by to get some things and a young man said, Merry Christmas, and I almost fell out. I wondered if security was going to come out and grab him and accost him and take him off. And, you know, I wasn't sure because it's almost become a foreign sound. I have nothing wrong with saying happy holidays. I have nothing wrong with honoring the other holidays of other religions and people. But when we become to a point as a society when the name Christ is so offensive that we dare not utter it, then something is dreadfully wrong just like on that first Christmas. Why is it that there's no room for Jesus? Maybe it's ignorance. Now, I'm not going to throw the church under the bus this morning, but let me say to you that for these 2,000 years, the church has done a poor job at telling the world who Jesus is. We've told the world what Jesus is against and we've told the, the world uh, what, what we think and our opinions, but truly being Jesus to a lost and dying world that is lost in utter darkness, simply being the light, we've not done a good job. So many people are ignorant of who Jesus is. If they would simply open their Bibles and read all of the wonderful things this child Jesus would grow up and do, they would certainly be impressed, but very few lost people will read the Bible, so you and I are the only Bible they'll ever read. Maybe it's ignorance, or maybe it's indifference. I really don't care about Jesus. All I care about about this season is what I'm going to get, what I'm going to give, the parties I'm going to go to, the festivities, and the day off. By the way, I think every atheist ought to have to work on Christmas Day. They don't want to say Merry Christmas. Well, then work. Don't take our holiday and enjoy it. But many people are enjoying. Think about it. Remember in Jesus' life, what did they do? They came to Jesus for what they could get, but they didn't come to Jesus for what they could give. Even people that don't want to utter the name Christmas, they still want the benefits of this blessed season. Think about this. When that little baby was born, that video you saw, Number one, at that moment when he took breath and began to live, absolute truth was established. At that point on, God's plan, God's purpose was fulfilled. Man could no longer make up his own rules. There was a firm and a fixed and an established basis for all truth. I think I've used this illustration before, but if I'm out building something and I say, Cameron, how about running and cut me a board that's two feet long, 24 inches long? Cameron's got to come back with a board that's about that long because that's two feet. If he comes back with a board that's that long or that long, I'm say, Cameron, what's wrong with you? I said, I needed two feet. And he said, oh, but he'd look at me and say, but Cameron, we'll have a conversation. I said, but Pastor Cameron, I know that you think two feet's this long, but you know, inches and feet, they're really relative. So therefore, to me, this is two feet or, or this is two feet. It's all relative. No, there is an established measure of truth. The world is saying there's no measure of truth. You do what, what, what you know, floats your boat and I'll do what floats my boat. You do what feels good to you and I'll do what feels good to me and so on and so forth. Friend, when Jesus 
Jesus Christ came and birthed and, and, and was birthed and began to breathe that, that, that breath of life, he became a man which established the very sovereignty of God here on earth. And it established his truth. It also established his justice. Because at that moment, now God has given us a way that we might be redeemed, that forgiveness of our sins might be possible. So when we say, no, I'm not going to accept Jesus, we are saying, I am willing to suffer the consequences of the judgment of God. He has made a way possible, even though I didn't deserve it. He has made a way ultimately and eternally possible for me to escape his judgment. But the world says, I don't want to believe in any measure of truth. I don't want to believe in any measure of justice. What a difference 2,000 years can make. We're so busy. Remember Bethlehem that night? They were so busy. So busy. Why? It was their busy season. Church, do you know that we can get too busy at the church? If, if we're not careful, we'll have all of our plays and all of our musicals and all of our events and all of our outings that we get to the point about the three or four days before Christmas, we say, I'll be glad when all this is over because I'm exhausted. We're so busy. It's our busy season. But if we're neglecting the most important thing, and that is to make room for Jesus in it all. You know, we cry out, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Let us shop, let us shop, let us shop. But when we cry, let us worship, let us worship, let us worship. 2,000 years ago, the stars drew people to Jesus. Now the stores draw us away from Jesus. 2,000 years ago, all of heaven stood still to proclaim this birth. Now very few will stand still to proclaim his birth. Number five, and I'm done. There was no room for Jesus in his birth, in his life, in his death, and in our world. But there's also, sadly, many, many times, no room for Jesus in our lives. In our lives. Matthew 23, 23 says that we should never neglect the most important things. Any of you got a list yet? You got a list of all the things you know? If you're... A teenager or below, you've got a list of all the things you want for Christmas. If you're maybe married and above, you've got a list of all the things you've got to get for Christmas for somebody else, right? But we've all got a list. Check it twice. I want to give you a very quick list of what we need to make sure we're doing for Christ this Christmas. The Bible says we don't need to neglect the first things. Here it is. Number one, this Christmas, let's don't neglect to worship Him. I love the picture of the shepherds. You remember? They were up on the hillside. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The Bible says that one angel appeared out of heaven. And the light shone and this one angel began, loved it, began to announce the birth of Jesus. Now I don't know exactly what was going on with the rest of the angels, but they were unable to control their excitement, literally. And the Bible says that if the one angel, as the one angel began to announce the birth of Christ, you will find the babe 
wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a, you know, the whole story. And as the one angel began to announce this, the Bible says, and suddenly there was with that one angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing and glorifying. They were worshiping him. There's only two times in the Bible that you will see the occasion where the angels absolutely cannot contain themselves and they began worshiping and praising and having a hallelujah time. I mean, they are part. Number one is when Christ was born. Number two is when a sinner is reborn. When a sinner gets saved, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices and worships and parties. I can't help but think these two things are connected. When they saw that this baby had been born, they realized now there was a way of salvation. And they looked through the corridors of time and they looked at you and me and any other person that would accept Christ and they began rejoicing for the decisions that would one day be made because of this birth that had taken place on this night. They worshipped him. Ah, but then the shepherds. The Bible said they made haste. They said, come on, let's go. We've got to go see this thing made known to us. And they went and they bowed down at the little baby and they worshipped. They worshipped him. Number one, let's not neglect to worship this Christmas. In the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our festivities, Let's not forget to worship. Number two, and I'm done. Let's not neglect to witness. To witness. Do you remember what the shepherds did? After they worshiped, they got up and they said, Come on, let's go. Let's go with haste. And let's make known abroad what we have seen and heard and witnessed. I got to tell somebody, the shepherd said. Oh, that we would witness. Oh, that we would share what we've experienced and what we know. You see, it's one thing, beloved, to come into this place and to celebrate and to high-five the birth of Christ and to say, isn't it good that Christ came? But it's another thing to actually go and tell the world about this blessed birth. New Jersey, picture it. Every year this particular church would have a nativity scene out on the front lawn of their church. And every year the same terrible thing would happen. Some hoodlum, some thug would come up and would steal the baby Jesus. Just steal him. The little doll that they would place in the manger. Can you imagine they'd steal the baby Jesus? So the church got fed up with it after a few years so they determined they were going to fix this. So they took the little baby doll and they installed a GPS tracking device inside of it. And that way if somebody stole it, they could find it, you know. So sure enough, one of the first nights that the little baby was out there, in the wee hours of the night, someone came and they stole the baby Jesus and they threw him in the trunk of their car and they sped off, knowing that that little baby had a GPS tracker in it. So for the next two weeks, the church monitored all of the places that that little baby went. That little baby visited the basketball stadium. That little baby visited the mall a few times. That little baby visited the dentist office. That little baby visited many homes. That little baby visited many businesses. In fact, that little baby made its way all over New Jersey. Finally, the church leaders had had enough, so they called the police in and they went and they found the little baby Jesus. Returning the baby Jesus to the church... The pastor stood up the next Sunday and held that little baby up and said, 
We have Jesus back right where He belongs in the church. How dare anyone take our Jesus all over town? And as he said that, he became convicted and began to weep and said, You know, that's really what we're supposed to be doing. When we go to the malls and when we go shopping and when we have our appointments and when we go make our visits and when we go to these get-togethers, we're supposed to be taking Jesus with us. Did you know that? May I ask you this Sunday morning, do you have room in your life? Do I have room in my life for Jesus?